Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcallers is a Bigfoot world favorite and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Bigfoot Society podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Jeremiah Byron. This week, I'm able to talk to Mr. Todd Neese from the Pacific Northwest, Bigfoot researcher of almost 30 years. A really fun episode. I think you'll really enjoy it as you enjoy uh, all the episodes. We talk about everything from Todd's uh, first Bigfoot encounter during his military years to what he's doing currently and what might be coming down the road. Uh, So really sit back relax enjoy this uh new episode of bigfoot society and uh, i do need to mention uh there are some some audio mishaps uh in this uh, episode uh just because of different uh things occurring you may hear a ringtone or two Uh, my apologies for that i believe that the uh quality of the information shared by the guest in this episode will far outweigh the audio quality of the recording itself but uh, thanks so much for being patient with me on that and uh, enjoy the show all right thanks for coming back to the bigfoot society podcast i've got uh the privilege of having mr todd niece on with me tonight uh, hello, Todd. I'm going to start out with a, a quick uh, bio about you, just so that our, our listeners get uh, kind of what's going on here. So uh, some things you'll want to know about Todd. He is a, a native of the Pacific Northwest region. Uh, he was uh, previously in the military, an Army sergeant, uh, trained in things such as high explosives, and we'll probably get more into that uh, in the interview Uh, he's been on multiple tv shows documentaries you may have seen him before uh he's the host of the bigfoot researcher gathering beachfoot for uh, at least 15 years Uh, he's a co-founder of the american primate conservancy with his wife Uh, they have a plan to establish a bigfoot interpretive center and all in all uh he's been doing bigfoot research for about 30 years almost 30 years and he's gone on about 29 bigfoot expeditions and investigations spanning over uh i counted four states from your bio you sent over uh it's pretty intense todd uh is there anything else that you want to make sure the listeners know about you uh before we get rolling um yeah well thanks for having me jeremy yeah i really appreciate it um uh, just that uh, I do hold a, a degree in multi uh, uh, disciplines, um, and uh, I think it's important to note that prior to talking about it, uh, uh, I was a non-believer. 
which I, I think is uh, important uh, mm. of the mindset that uh, the stories that uh, were being told were uh, at best good campfire study stories or you know Indian lore and so I really didn't put a lot of credence in it especially uh, being a uh, avid hunter so, yeah, that's that's kind of uh, my situation, and, and uh, we can take it from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, I've read I've read what you sent over, but I am curious. Uh, what is is was there a certain uh, event in your life that really kicked off? You know, you. Uh, spending th almost 30 years into the research of Bigfoot, was there a catalyst, something that really uh, set things off for you, Todd? Well, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, one of my military occup occupational specialties was that of a combat engineer mm. uh, with the Oregon Army National Guard. And uh, quite a bit of what we do entails the use of uh, high explosives, and so my epiphany, I guess, uh, came about on April 3rd, 1993. It was a Saturday afternoon, and we were practicing our trade. We had three different blast sites that we uh, were to detonate based on three different scenarios. Hmm. Uh, the first one was cutting charges where we'd blow steel I-beams apart uh, for instance, if we were to take, maybe try to drop a bridge. Um, second one was a minefield breach, and the last one was a cratering charge, and that's where you would basically demolish a road to prevent uh, the enemy's use of that, that avenue. Uh, so on that day, and it was actually a pretty nice day for, for April in the coast range, especially being a temperate rainforest. We had clear blue skies and uh, we had in place to charge about 250 pounds of ammonium nitrate that we'd been soaking in diesel fuel for several hours prior. Uh, we set the fuses, got in our vehicles and began the convoy away from this, this ticking time bomb, if you will. Right, yeah. I was uh, I was a passenger in the second of four vehicles. Uh, I was in a Humvee. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with those by now. But uh, right. I was sitting behind the driver, so I'm on the left side of the of the Jeep, and the window down. And I was just uh, again being an avid hunter. It was natural for me to be glancing about the the countryside looking for any any wildlife and uh well let's just say i got a little more than i had uh, bargained for oh yeah we, we came around this wide sweeping right hand turn and the second blast site where we had detonated uh quite a bit of c4 plastic explosive about an hour earlier it, it came into view and what struck me were these three individuals I'm looking at standing right out in the open in this, uh, this a gravel pit. Oh, wow. And uh, you know, the first thing that came to my mind is what the heck are those people doing down there? Because we had very heavy security. In fact, we had two separate uh, 
veils of security layers, if you will. And uh, when we do this stuff, everybody's accounted for. You can't have people wandering around just because of the obvious danger that's involved. So seeing these three figures down there was a shock. And, and But the more I looked at it, looked at them, uh, it became very apparent that what I was looking at were not people at all. Uh. Other than, you know, standing on two legs, uh, again, there were three of them. they had a whole different uh, profile, if you will, than that of a human. The, the first thing that jumped out at me was the length of these arms that reached oh, wow. down to their knees, if not slightly further than their knees. Uh, and these things were jet black. Okay. So no clothing. Um, and and really had the physique of, of bodybuilders, if you will. I mean, sure. talking these huge shoulders uh the head seemed planted right on the shoulders i mean it was really uh not much of a neck visible and and i assume that's probably from the the trapezius muscles going straight out from yeah probably the the ears down to the shoulders um barrel chested there was a discernible taper from the chest down to the waist but it was your activity that even uh was more surprising and that was uh, I should say the one in the middle stood a full head taller than the other two and I estimated it sighted about nine feet uh, the other two on either side of it were seven seven and a half feet anyway they came up to the shoulders of the, the larger mm. one and while that one in the middle stood there like a statue it really didn't move at all these two that flanked it to the left and right exhibited this swaying motion if you will that like you're shifting weight from foot to foot and and in the process these long pendulous arms are, are swinging back and forth below their oh, knees wow. yeah that made no sense um and i i just i i sat there in, in shock really uh, i mean these things weren't supposed to exist yet right yeah uh and this wasn't a you know three or four seconds something ran in front of my car kind of sighting i actually watched them for nearly half a minute i estimated about wow. 20 seconds so i got a good long look at them and and like i said the entire time those those two uh continued this swaying motion um and after 25 seconds we rounded another corner i lost sight of them and i just okay. kind of slumped back in my chair and I, i'm just trying to make sense of it i mean i i can't unsee what i just saw you know uh, yeah. and uh there's a lot to take in that's a, a real assault on your senses of what is and isn't supposed to be um we arrived at the uh, staging area safety area uh, safe distance from the, the explosion that was about to go off and i just instinctively josh got out of the the Humvee and started jogging back up the direction because we weren't too far from from where I had seen lost sight of them so I, I you know I just had to see them again and uh, I got as far as I dared knowing again this 100% integrity uh-huh. uh, SOP that required everybody be with inside of each other so I got as 
far as I could, and uh, unfortunately, there was a little bit of a hill that was blocking my my vision. So, just the same, I'm on my tiptoes. I've got my hand, yeah, hand forehead. I'm trying to see whatever I could, and uh, about that time, I heard somebody call out my name, and mm. uh, right, and uh, coming my direction is uh, Sergeant Martin. He goes, hey, niece. I go, yeah, what's up? And he says, what are you looking at? <laughs> well, nothing. Yeah. The case. Um, but anyway, he continued to walk toward me, and he got up uh, next to me, looked me right in the eyes, and said, I don't suppose you saw what I saw down at that second blast site. Oh, man. I wasn't going to say it, you know. Oh, I just, yeah. He saw something else, too. Wow. I said, Jeff, what did you see? And he said, uh, well, he, he, I remember him looking left and right. He was smoking on a cigarette. He made sure nobody else was in earshot. And he said, I saw three huge hair covered, I, I don't know, Bigfoot, I guess. Wow. Because of that, I'm like, um, you know, and it was nice to have that corroboration, but it, it certainly wasn't necessary. Uh, but I was just happy that somebody else had experienced what I had seen. And just as a follow-up, uh, being a traditional guardsman, you know, we train one week in the month. We all have day jobs. Um, we uh, reconvened in early May, a month later, and two more soldiers uh, came forward and admitted to seeing exactly what wow. I had seen. So it's it's a pretty unique sighting on a number of levels one you know multiple eyewitnesses mm -hmm. not real common multiple eyewitnesses of, of, of multiple animals uh, are even more rare um most generally these things are seen you know uh, as a individual and of course the nature of what we were doing out there i mean we were blowing up the woods pretty much we had raw yeah. gravel quarries but uh, just the same we're we're, we're, we were putting mushroom clouds up about 2,500 feet or so. I mean, no way. Big, big pops, yeah. Wow. Uh, creating a temporary little earthquake in the process. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I got indoctrinated in this. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, it's hard to get your head wrapped around the, the whole concept that 25 seconds of my entire adult life at, at, at that time i was 34 uh it changed my life forever oh my goodness yeah uh, so i've been studying as much as i can and researching as much as i can and uh, and doing some public speaking obviously yeah um uh, just this year i've spoke uh, twice in oregon once in idaho uh arkansas oklahoma and i'm scheduled for Nebraska. Oh, sure. Yeah. Hastings, right? Yeah. Hastings, yeah. yeah. Nebraska, uh, Ohio, and uh, Virginia. Wow. Up. I'm already booked in 2023 for Texas. So. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's nice now that I'm retired from the military. I've got a little more time to devote to uh, to the study, and uh, it's, it's something I love doing. I'd like to ask a few questions about uh, that sighting. I know this is this has got to be tough because again, 25 seconds 
30 years ago. That's, that's really like, that's a lot to try to remember um, or not a lot really to try to remember. Do you remember anything specific? I'm always curious, like when there's a sighting, what the person remembers about the face. Do you remember anything about the face at all? I was not at close enough range to okay. make out facial features, to be honest with you, or gender for that matter. Sure, uh, sure. But it's interesting you should say that because uh, one of the things I've always uh, said was that if anybody doubts me, I'd be more than happy to take a lie detector test or sure. undergo, undergo hypnosis. Ah. And it just so happened that uh, you run into all kinds of people. Uh, oh, yeah. And uh, one of uh, gentlemen I met uh, was actually a clinical uh, hypnotherapist. Hmm. And in order to uh, document uh, my sighting uh, through hypnosis and hopefully to draw out some of those details, uh-huh. it was an interesting experience. We actually had two sessions and um, not ever being hypnotized before. It's a got you into that state of mind where everything else is wiped away and you're just right there. You would literally virtually right back in the the spot. Wow. He would say, okay, you're standing there. What do you see? And then he would turn it around and goes, okay, now you're the creatures looking at you. Oh. Is there anything else you can see from their perspective? He actually took me two other points just left and right you're standing between you and the, and the creatures do you pick up any more detail uh i thought that was pretty fascinating what he said yeah. virtually move you around the, the chessboard so to speak and crazy I, I don't believe i really brought up a whole lot more detail but again i was it's a situation where a i wasn't prepared for it and b i was pretty much in a state of shock when I was oh yeah so no, I, I getting back to your question, I was not able to determine gender or, or make out facial features. Okay. Very no well. Problem. Yeah. Have you ever tried to to find that spot? Is it a thing where you like I have to find that area again, or is it a thing where like I don't really it doesn't bug me, you know, to try to find that area again? No, that's a, that's a great question. Actually, I've been back there numerous times. Okay. Um, the uh, initially you know i couldn't get in there we had a special contract with the timber holding company that owned those those rock quarries to yep. get in just that day uh, i had come across really uh, stumbled across an advertisement in the oregon oregonian newspaper okay and, and here in big bold words this is a help wanted ads in the big bold print was the word bigfoot i'm like no what all right so i'm looking at it and it was an advertisement looking for a field researcher uh in the bigfoot field and i was not a researcher by any means at that point uh, just a, a hobbyist if you will 
had the phone number, and I can't make this up, it was 1-800-BIGFOOT, right? No way. (laughs) The project called the Bigfoot Research Project that I believe ran from 92 to about 2000. Okay. And it was headed up by none other than uh, Peter Byrne. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah, totally. We're... uh, Yes, uh, listeners uh, are familiar with him. Um, he is quite the pioneer researcher, and in yes. fact, he still is alive with us today. At oh, age yeah. 97, I believe. Yep. And, oh, yeah. And uh, uh, lives not too far from, from here. Oh, cool. Uh, but I called it with the voicemail, left the message back up. Because you have to understand something. As an eyewitness, it's a real, it's kind of, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. I mean, you're, it's like winning the lottery, but at the same time, you can't talk about it. You know what I mean? Mm. There's old uh, factor of people questioning your sanity, your, your, oh, wow. your uh, questioning your honesty and integrity. And I, so a lot of people, and I've found this out over the years, having interviewed enough well over 100 eyewitnesses that a lot of them have never gotten it off their chest. They've never spoke about it. And, mm. um, of course, when I tell them I've had a sighting, it, it, they open up immediately. Um, but here was an opportunity for me. I just left a message saying, hey, if you are if you guys are legit, I got a story you might want to hear that happened a couple wow. months ago. And they ultimately called me back, sent me a, a fairly lengthy questionnaire to fill out, uh, and then I get a call uh, from one of uh, Peter's uh, research assistants okay. saying, hey, are, when are you going to be down there in that area again? Now, the area, again, is about 10 miles from the Oregon coast mm. uh, in the very west corner of, of Oregon. And I said, well, I've got a got drill next month next week uh, and he says I'm gonna come down and meet you and I'd like you to take me into the area okay and of course I said well good luck with that because it's it's very high security and uh, you're not gonna be able to get in there he goes well I'll call you when I get down there so we got in touch with each other after final formation he said meet me up by the gate so I drove up there and I'll be damned if he didn't have a master key Whoa. To, all, to all the gates throughout this, this very large holding. Oh man. He, I got in his Jeep and we drove up there. We got to the very side. Uh, I have to tell you, it was, um, very surreal for me, uh, being that the last time I was there, there were like 60 troops with me. Yeah. Right. Um, up there with this stranger I don't know from Adam no weapons yep so he shuts the Jeep up and starts walking away from the Jeep and I just kind of hesitate if you will because I'm in my mind these things are around here oh yeah if they're anywhere they're around here because I you know saw them so he looked at me and says are you coming I said you just give me a second <laughs> So and, uh, and we we poked around quite a bit of the area. We actually found some footprints. Really? 
he reported back to Peter. Peter came out on a subsequent uh, day, and, and I met him up there, and uh, uh, we've been friends ever since. And, wow. Uh, before he left, he handed me that master key, and he says, take care of it. No way. So, oh, that's so cool, man. Getting back to your original question, yeah, yeah. I went in there every month, at, 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 at least, every drill. Okay. And what I would do is I'd stop down by this, this fish market down in the little town of Seaside, and I would buy up uh, uh, scrap salmon and whatnot. The, sure. The people like to, it's cheap, and people use it for crab bait and whatnot, so I would buy a bag of that. And I'd go in there, lock the gates behind me by wow. myself, and uh, pretty hairy for the first few times, but I kind of got used to it. And I would hang this bag of uh, salmon carcasses, heads, skin, that kind of stuff, in a tree high enough off the ground that nothing else could get to it. Uh, Dr. Henner Fahrenbach, who's a primatologist, instructed me to find a branch that won't support a bear, mm. will support the bait, get it out far away from the trunk so they can't reach it from the trunk. And then perforate the bag so you know that the smell is getting out. And so sure. I did for nine months straight. I went in there, winter, spring, fall, and I hang the bait. And every time I came back, it was gone. That uh, not only was the bait gone, but the bag itself was gone. And I, I would search all around to try to find it. Because if it's anything else, a raccoon or, or even a bear that got to it they would the bag should be somewhere around it but whatever was taking it was literally plucking it off of this 550 parachute cord and walking okay. off with it so i never did i never did find a find a bag oh but, that's uh, that's crazy i'm gonna ask a question that might actually be silly but i'm gonna do it um did you ever utilize trail cams or i'm i mean were those out of the question at that time in history or in that, sorry, in that particular area, did you ever utilize trail cams? Well, the, back then there was some pretty rudimentary trail cams. Okay. Uh, there's one, and I think I still have it. It's called a, a day timer, or trail timer, I think they call it. And it was basically a vice that you had put a, a standard 24 millimeter film camera in. Oh, wow. That, that had a servo with a actuator that would literally click the button. And it had its own, uh, a, a, a wire that ran from it to a separate uh, motion detector. Okay. And so I did have that initially. Uh, and then, of course, the digital stuff came up and the night vision stuff came sure. up. And we have probably 15 of these cameras now but wow. i should mention that on the anniversary of my sighting in april of 94 was when i conducted my first expedition okay uh, put together a small team and literally set up camp in that fort itself oh wow nice yeah uh spent uh, four or five days up there had some uh, interesting things that we ran into uh, tracks and uh, one very large scat. Uh, okay. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I had access to that area for 
probably five years before mm. they sold it. Oh man! To wow. a, to a different company, and uh, but yeah, it was great to get in there and, and be able to explore where nobody else would get in there. Ah, oh, that is cool. It like so many parallels to like how the Olympic project have their um, area and they're able to, to use it for just a small period of time in the grand scheme of things. And you got to do the most you can when you have access to that. Cause you never know when it's going to be gone, but, oh, that is a super cool story. Is affiliated with the, the OP as we call it. And we've been up there dozens of times. Oh yeah. They're, they're a great group. They're doing some wonderful things. Hmm. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I'm super big fan of, uh, uh, Shane Corson and all those cool dudes. And yeah, I'd love to sometime meet him in, oh, yeah. uh, in person for sure. But yeah. Um, I, I gotta ask you a few, a few basic, uh, questions. So if someone asks you, okay, Todd, what is Bigfoot? How, how do you answer them? What's the, what's the elevator pitch for what you think Bigfoot is? Well, I have to, Jeremiah, I've kind of come full circle on that. Okay. I, I uh, kind of fell into the camp that believed that we're dealing with a uh, uh, something along the lines of Gigantopithecus. Interesting. Okay. And, which has been a popular theory. Sure. Uh, but for certain reasons, I've pretty much been able to eliminate that. Uh, and what I, when I say come full circle, what I believe we're dealing with is a relic hominid, mm. not human, yep. but hominid such as uh, Cro-Magnon or... Okay, uh, interesting. But one that has existed and survived for millennia uh, here in the Pacific Northwest and elsewhere. Wow. Um, and I say that because... You know, when I first came out of the uh, field after having that sighting, I, I went to the library and checked out every book I could find on the subject. Oh, sure. Wanting to know the latest, greatest, newest information. And about six months into it, I did a 180 and said, wait a minute. You know what would be really interesting is find out the oldest accounts out there. And uh, so I... I started doing that. If you if you start referencing Bigfoot, you're going to find out that that phrase was coined in 1958, and uh -huh. so you're kind of hard pressed to find references. And so you got to switch it up a little bit. Sasquatch will take you back a little bit further. Hairy man, mountain devils. You yep. Kind of yep. Create Ape Canyon stuff. One of my best resources have been Native Americans, uh -huh. because. What dawned on me was, hey, you know, we've been here, what, 250 years or so. Okay. And we know that Native Americans have just recently been traced back anywhere from 21 to 23,000 years ago. So mm. who do you think knows more about these? Uh, the people have been around 250 years or 23,000 years. Uh, and Makes sense. They had to live symbiotically with these creatures for a long mm. time. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's taken a while to gain the trust of various uh, tribes, but oh, yeah. I have successfully with about five different tribes that I'm working with, and they have got some amazing stories. And of course, 
because there was no written language, everything was passed down, you know, mm. by word of But they, they were very careful in maintaining their, their cultural history. And uh, so when you start looking into early references where people were actually documenting Indian lore, you'd find that they referred to them not as animals, but as another tribe. Hmm. They wow. would them the old ones uh, and the first one. So uh, the way they describe them is, like I said, a, an ancient tribe. And I have no reason to doubt that. Wow. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're still finding human remains uh, around the world that we've never found before. Absolutely. Absolutely. Homo forensis, four foot tall beings at full, full growth. Uh, and, and they've dated them back only like 20,000 years. So, you know, who's to say what survived the Ice Age? Uh, That's true. About, about the Native American part of it is that the anthropologists had pegged the oldest finds at about 19,000 years ago. And, and you and I know what happened 20,000 years ago. I see. Right. Now, now they just, last summer, they came up with a 20, no, it was 19, it was 19,000. That's when they came up with that. But it was only like five or six weeks on the heel of that that they discovered uh, this latest discovery which places them pre-ice age so we know that humans survived that ice age in north america hmm. so why not these you know i mean it, it would uh, these guys are 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 hardy creatures it would not be surprising that that would be the case for sure um, well, survival of the fittest out there that's that true but, uh, yeah I can't think of any other animal out there that's more fit than these things. They're built for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, that you jumped right into reading all sorts of books. I'm curious. I'm sure you have quite the library over the years that you've, you know, set up. Uh, do you, for, you know, Bigfoot researchers that are listening, do you have, like, what are your go-to books that you find yourself always going back to that you would recommend if there's any of that come to mind? Wow, that's that's a good question. Um, again, you might think the, the the newest stuff out might be the best, but uh, some oh, of no. the out there um, books by uh, John Green, your uh, novel, -huh. uh, biologist from British Columbia, um, Renata Hennen, and of course Peter Byrne. Uh, sure. Uh, well, the Four Horsemen. So. The, the oh yeah. Grover Krantz, Peter Byrne, Renee Hinnon, and John Green, uh, of which I knew all four of them. Uh, That's wild. And uh, shared the stage with them, actually, and I just uh, was very fortunate to, to meet them when they were still alive. And, like yeah. I say, Peter's still hanging in there. Uh, but Bitter Noggle's book uh, is very scientific-based. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, uh, Dr. Jeff Meldrum's got... Oh, yeah. Uh, Legend meets science. In Classic. fact, 
documentary called Legend Meets Science, and uh, I think it's okay to announce that we are uh, in the process of producing Sasquatch Legend Meets Science 2. Oh, yes, that is very uh, public, yep. Yeah. And I'll be participating in that. Uh, oh, so cool. Uh, so I would say start with some of the classic stuff and and work your way up but uh, you know truth doesn't change uh, sometimes the technology does and and it and gives us some opportunity to, to utilize uh, things such as uh, night vision cameras uh, I've got one here and it's absolutely amazing uh, this is a okay. science, uh Full-color spectrum night vision camera. I've never seen anything like it in 20 years in the military. Uh, mostly what we have is what you see on TV, the kind of grainy green picture. Uh, this, I could go out in my front yard with all the lights off, but I can tell that my truck is red, my canoe is yellow, my sure. car is blue. It, it gives you uh, some amazing, I mean, the technology has really come along. Um, and of course, uh, the number of night vision cameras available. This is the FLIR TK Scout. Right. A lot of people have these. They've got a fairly decent range and they do record both uh, audio and, uh, well, video, still shots, and audio. Uh, drones. Uh, we've got a couple drones in, in our conservancy that we use for aerial surveillance. Okay. Uh, so yeah, things as things evolve, uh, yeah, the the literature will certainly not be far behind it. And uh, uh, been doing some experiments on uh, different theories, uh, but uh, yeah, I would say start with the classics and and uh, and then just work your way up. When That's I good started, advice. that was was really just starting, and so uh, hard copy books was the way to go. Oh yeah, yeah. If you can, and if you find them for cheap, don't hesitate to pick them up because most of those books you mentioned are very expensive now. So if you can find them, you, you pick them up for sure. Um, is there a uh, thinking over all the expeditions and investigations you did over the years? Is there one of them that really, you know, sticks out as like, oh, that was like, that was it. That was the one. Well, uh, as, as, as far as adventure was concerned, uh, in 2016, September 2016, uh, I uh, headed up a, an expedition into, the, into British Columbia. Oh, yeah. Uh, that we euphemistically called Operation Sea Monkey. The okay. idea was being able to access uninhabited islands and some of these uninhabited inlets uh, that, that go into the, uh, the mountains, uh, in this case, the Broughton Archipelago, mm. uh, uh, between the northern tip of Vancouver Island and the mainland of British Columbia, there's about a hundred small islands. And when I say unoccupied or uninhabited, I, I, I should preface it by saying there are tons of animals out there, lots of wildlife, but just okay. really not, uh, people. There used to be, we actually investigated an old uh, abandoned Indian village while we were up there. But we spent uh, a week, so anchored off of uh, five or six different islands. We always moved around and 
And the premise of that was that uh, I have a, a First Nations bush guide friend, uh, a member of a Quapaw Ewok tribe by the name of Tom Seward. Oh, yeah, sure. Yep. Tom was visiting me and my wife. He and, he and uh, Peggy were visiting us, spent the night here at uh, the Chateau de Squatch, as we call it. Uh, right. And we have this trifold, full color trifold brochure uh, that I'll take around to different conferences just to get the information out about conservancy and what we do. And he was reading through that. And he sees this part where we talk about taking a large uh, boat up into Canada. Now, my intent was for like the entire summer. Um, Tom got all excited about that. Uh, he said, well, you need to go pretty soon. And I go, well, what's the rush? He said, well, in the September, early October is when the clam season starts. Okay. So drop cold enough to kill off any dioxin that might be in the shellfish. And he said, my people have been going out there for thousands of years at this time of year. And the grizzly bear, the black bear, the wolf, they all know that they just have to dig down at these beaches and there's plenty of protein just below the surface. Hmm. And Sasquatch has been observed doing this as well. So, so when are you talking? He's like, three weeks. I'm like, three weeks. Okay. A, we need money. Uh, right. B, we need to put together a team. C, we need a boat. He goes, well, don't worry about the boat. I got some friends up in Campbell River. I'm sure I can get a boat. You work on putting a team together and raising the money. You know, the easy part. So, <laughs> right. Uh, we, I actually uh, was surprised. I did my first GoFundMe yep. campaign, and uh, initially I told the guys, uh, "Be prepared to bring five or six hundred bucks each, you know, just for food and fuel and whatnot." Right. Well, I was amazed. In uh, in a matter of three weeks, we raised over seven thousand dollars. Oh wow! And yeah, it was. I was very, very uh, grateful for that, and and so. Uh, and then I went about putting together a team. Uh, some people you may know was, uh, of course, Tom Seawood, uh, Ron Moorhead. Nice. Long. Uh, there's Thomas Steenberg, who's yep. a yep. and author and researcher. Uh, Gunnar Monson, who mm-hmm. does competing show, Monster X. And, uh, yep. also That's a great guy. show. It's a great show. And, yeah, so we, we put together a total of eight people on that boat, and we, we all... We, we were happy to get up, get a shower after a while. So we were pretty well crammed on this. It was a 50-foot trawler called the, the Quattawa, Quattawa, Um We took ships scanning the shoreline throughout the evening with a very expensive pair of uh, binocular, uh, thermal binoculars that was on loan from the uh, Olympic project. Hmm. And we do two-hour shifts all through the night, watching the beaches, looking for heat signatures. Um, in the daytime, we would we had two zodiacs that we could take uh, out individually. Sure. And uh, we would set up uh, game cameras, uh, as well as uh, I I own a pair or a set, I should say, of four seismic ground sensors. And to my knowledge, we're the only one that has used these for Bigfoot research. But they wow. Military issue. Uh, sensors that literally will detect vibration in the ground. 
Oh, wow. That is cool. And then transmit the signal up to two miles away. So we would have those set up. Uh, we didn't come back with the, you know, the Holy Grail, but uh, it's a great, uh, I considered it more of a uh, exploratory uh, expedition for sure. future expeditions. Uh, and uh, other than getting uh, chased by a grizzly bear, uh, it was fairly <laughs> uneventful. Oh man! Oh yikes! Chased by a grizzly? Yeah. No, no thanks. Yeah, but it was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So as soon as we got on this one island, the boat takes the Ludiac takes off, and I just I see these huge footprints like I've never seen before. Wow. The size of a tennis racket. You know, I'm like, whoa. Uh, let's get this done and out of here quick. You know, and and then the hmm. captain. Captain comes over the radio, and Gunner had the radio, and he's like, "Hey, how's it going?" And I goes, "Well, pretty good. We got uh, two cameras up. We just got to put in a ground sensor." And he goes, "Well, very good. Who's got the shotgun?" <laughs> uh, niece, why? Well, you might want to load it. There's a bar coming. Oh, funny! Wow. And uh, yeah, uh, it, oh, it got man. got pretty close to us before that zodiac showed up. Uh, wow. There's a lot more that goes to it, but I'll save that for another time. Yeah. For Oh, man, that's that's a wild adventure. I have to you know, you ask me, if you really ask me about one of the most productive uh, expeditions I did, um, uh, October 2020, uh, I was invited by the uh, uh, a good native uh, friend of mine to uh, visit them at the the Omaha Nation. Oh, yeah. The reservation out there in eastern Nebraska. Okay. And I spent a total of a week out there. And I can discuss some things about it, some things I can't, but I will tell you this. One of the things I had heard over the years, and you might have heard it too, is something that I had a very difficult time believing in, and that was... Uh, this concept of eye shine sure and i had seen several videos this guy had, had put out online and uh it's one of those you know you'd have to be there i'd have to see it for myself well uh, i'm here to tell you i had to eat a little crow because we went out monday through friday to a very remote location from like midnight to two, sometimes two thirty in the morning, every night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and in two different locations, and we were never disappointed. Um, wow! My friend would call out in his his uh, native tongue. He'd say, "Aho, Kage," means hello, friend. Uh, and unbelievably, and again. I can't explain it. That's one of the theories I'm working on to this this day. But you'd see a pair of what looked like a pair of glowing eyes tied up. And not just one, sometimes two, sometimes three, individual. And they would move back and forth. Sometimes you'd say, Gigaho, which means uh, come closer. And sure enough, uh, on some uh, 
occasions they would move closer to us. And other times they had moved back. Hmm. We could see them blink. Now, I'm, when I talk about eyesight, I'm not talking about light projecting from the eyes per se, okay? As if you had a couple flashlights in front of your face. Yeah, sure. What I'm talking about, I believe, is eye reflection. Mm, yep. I have to tell you, there was no other ambient light that would give cause for something to reflect back. And one of the theories I'm working on is that there may be some very uh, special cells right. back of the eye in the retina, perhaps. Oh, okay. That might a, a night vision camera. Uh, they have an array of cells that will pull in starlight and, and lunar light and hmm. amplify it. Okay. Thinking this is like, uh, you know, perhaps an early version of that. I, I did see a special, I can't remember if it was a Discovery Channel or, or History Channel not too long ago where they, the entire film, it was a three-part series, they filmed the entire thing at night with these specialized color night cameras. And they were filming on at least six continents. Uh, different animals at night just to see how they behave at night when they are unaware that they're being observed. And there was one uh, in the first part of the three-part series that really struck me, and it was a, they were photographing a, a puma, a mother puma in Argentina with three kittens, I guess is what they call them, but you know, she was taking them out, teaching them how to hunt at night. And unlike any of the other animals they filmed, these eyes glowed so bright they almost washed out the face. Wow. And there was a scientific term that the narrator used uh, to explain that. And he said, even without night vision, you can make out their eyes sometimes in the dark. Hmm. So I'm still pursuing that. But... Uh, I have to say, if it were just for that eye shine thing, I would uh, perhaps have a little more doubt than I do, but we had some amazing vocalization. Mm. And with that, uh, different animals, different uh, different individuals, different, different sounds, uh, very distinct. Uh, one in particular got my attention, uh, sounded like a female. Uh, I just say that because of the, the extremely high pitch, and we're talking loud, super loud. Uh, I ended up kind of nicknaming her the, the singer. Okay. Because what she put out, and we, we experienced it the first night, really sounded like a song. And I'm going to tell you, it was almost beautiful. It, it changed in volume, it changed in tone and pitch and rhythm. She'd do this thing, it would go maybe five or six seconds long, really loud, but cha again, changed up all the time. And it would be like a 10 second break, and she would do it again exactly the way she did it the first time. And then pause, and she did it a total of four times within about a minute. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear something that 
keeps repeating itself. Mm-hmm. That's a language. There is yep. meaning in that. This is just arbitrary, built up, whatever. This was repeated identically four times in a row. Wow. Heard her again two nights later, and she just did it once, but again, it was the exact same tune that we had heard two days before. And that was in, did you say that was in Nebraska? It, it was on the Omaha Indian Reservation. In oh, Nebraska. that is so interesting. Okay. Uh, another wow. time, we're not getting as much activity. We always got activity, but we weren't getting a whole lot of activity. And my friend who's uh, actually converted to uh, uh, Mormonism, uh-huh. Very, very uh, uh, devout, you know, Christian man, and and, and he's, we were we're getting a lot of activity, and he says, you know, I'm going to try something. I haven't done this for a while, but sometimes I can get a response from him. He goes, I'm, he says, I'm going to pray with him. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. So he calls out to him again, and he says, you know, oh, Kage, I want to pray for you and for your family and your people that you are safe and healthy. And uh, if you'd like, feel free to come forward as I talk to the creator, our creator, your creator, and uh, join us if you want. So naturally, we bow our heads. And he's praying in English, about a three-minute-long prayer. Okay. And at about 90 seconds into it, from about 60 feet away, we had one of these sound off. Uh, very loud, very close. Did this really, uh, this whoop sound that just, like, whoop, like this. Wow. Oh, it did man. Times within about 12 seconds, very loud, completely different than the, any of the other vocalizations we heard. And I'll just tell you about one other one real quick. That uh, and that's why I say it was one of the most productive uh, expeditions I went on. Is when we weren't getting a lot of response at this one place, my friend said, "I'm going to take you to a second place where uh, uh, sometimes we get." reactions there it's like four four and a half miles away we okay get in the rig we drive still in way off the beaten path um, get into this area turn off all the lights he does his thing and sure enough less than 30 seconds later straight down the road is a dirt road that we had to really almost four-wheel drive to get there but uh mm down the road I could tell it was the same direction that, that I had parked the car here come these two two lights like maybe 100 120 feet away he goes there check. and then shortly after that we caught one at about our three o'clock trying to circle around behind us that was oh awesome. man but this was like day four and I knew I only had one more day, and I wanted to take this to the next level. So I asked my friend, I said, hey, have you ever just thought about walking up to him? Whoa. Yeah, that's what he said. He said, <laughs> uh, hell no. And I go, yeah. I go, hold my beer. <laughs> and yeah. Not any lights at all, and just 
going down the road, focused oh, on the man. two glowing eyes. It was pretty hairy, to be honest with you. Um, but no, no pun intended. Yeah, exactly. I I got probably within fifty or sixty feet when it finally turned and, and left. Really? I would not wow. do this. But anyway. <laughs> oh my goodness! He's about that crazy white man walking. Yeah. The big, but yeah, I was just like, I, I, I need to take this up a notch, you know. So. Yeah. But overall, between the vocalizations, uh, the eye shine, and the, the, the consistency of the encounters, uh, very a real highlight in my research. That is awesome. I mean, from that story, you're the perfect speaker to be at the Nebraska Bigfoot Conference. Definitely. I mean, with with that uh, stuff happen to you in East Nebraska, that's awesome. Uh, this has been such a fun conversation chatting with you, Todd. Uh, I can't believe an hour has gone by already. Um, it feels like we, we barely scratched the surface, but I'm, I'm just curious um, if people are wondering what are ways that they can keep up to date with, with what you're doing, uh, if you have any information centers like that. Well, we do have a, a website uh, for the Conservancy. It's AmericanPrimate.org. Okay. Uh, which reminds me, I need to get in there and update it. Um, uh, I can be contacted directly through through email, and I'm, I'm certainly open for that. And, and uh, yeah, I'm one of the last people on AOL, but uh, nice. It's American Primate. Yeah. So just one word: American Primate at AOL. Not okay. happy to uh, answer any questions or guess my name. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we're gonna. Uh, go over to the uh, Bigfoot Society after show and hang out with uh, some of the uh, Patreon members. They'll be able to uh, ask you some live questions. And uh, I may have some uh, questions, uh, some future questions as well. But thanks so much for coming on, Todd. And uh, uh, have a good one all. Thank you for listening tonight. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Bigfoot Society podcast. Please take a few minutes to review the show on iTunes five stars as it does help us get into the eyes and ears of more listeners on iTunes. Uh, that will help us just get bigger and bigger and get even better quality guests for future shows. Uh, also, if you have any Bigfoot encounters or cryptid encounters, please send your stories and uh, audio and photos, whatever you've got, over to BigfootSociety at gmail.com. If you'd like to become more involved with Bigfoot Society and get some extra content, we do have a Patreon uh, where you can get all sorts of cool things. For example, for $7 a month, you get extra Bigfoot Society content, uh, usually interviews, but other things as well. You get a sweet membership card and a vinyl sticker that I send to you in the mail. You get access to the Bigfoot Society after show, which is an extra interview after the main interview with the weekly guest, and usually they are up for uh, Patreon members to be in that extra show segment with them and me, and you get to ask your 
uh, question live to them and get an answer from the guest, which as you've seen what guest we've had in the past, this could be a really big deal. There's also a private Discord where you can get involved with uh, talking to me one-on-one and the community there, and that's always a great time. Uh, Also, this year we're partnering with different artists to make exclusive quarterly Bigfoot Society merch. If you stay in the particular Patreon tier for three months, then you get a special merch item sent to you in the mail after that three-month period. Uh, This quarter, we're partnering with Liz Pavlovic from Keep On Creeping On, which is a great design. And if you join, uh, you can join the sticker tier for $15 monthly, uh, the shirt tier for $25 monthly, and the tote bag tier for $30 monthly. Uh, Those different tiers also get all the uh, different things that were mentioned in the first tier, uh, which is the $7 a month tier. Now, you have until the last week of January to join the $15. 25 or $30 tier as the design will change uh, next quarter. So if you want to get that keep on creeping on Bigfoot Society collab t-shirt or sticker or tote bag, you don't have much time to join the Bigfoot Society Patreon. Uh, You have until the, uh, I believe the second to last day of January to do it. So do that quick. You can find the Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. Uh, We're very thankful for all our supporters that we have in so many different ways and appreciate uh, all our listeners coming back week after week to listen to more cryptozoology-based interviews. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone. Thank you.